in all of Scripture, uh, this is one of my very favorite passages. It is, of course, a post-Easter story. And so we arrive early by way of this sermon series, which is based on the life of Peter. Um, and it is focused in our reading on the work of Adam Hamilton, who wrote the book, Peter, Flawed But Faithful Disciple. Um, in the second to the last chapter, uh, we are given the opportunity to move into Peter's life in a post-resurrection day. Lent is an interesting season. For the 40 days that we count, Ash Wednesday until Easter, uh, this celebration that we have together and this preparation of our hearts uh, for a time in which we might understand to the best of our ability and then celebrate that Easter's coming. And yet, if you get right down to it, it really isn't 40 days. Some of you may have tried to count this off on your calendar at home before. Uh, if you try to do that, you'll see that it is more than 40 days total because Sundays are not counted in Lent. Why is this the case? Sundays are considered to be little Easter's on the Christian calendar. And so they are exceptions to the time of Lent. This day, as we are gathered here in this place, it may be filled with many of you who have given up certain things for Lent. If you've given up chocolate for Lent, let me tell you, go ahead and eat as much chocolate as you want this afternoon because this is not Lent. Today is not Lent. It is not counted in the 40 days because it is a reminder to us to come on any Sabbath to nurture as the community gathers the idea that the reason that we are here is because of our resurrected Lord who not only gave his life on the cross for us, but who is raised to new life and is still present with us this day. It is a good excuse for us to go to this post-Easter encounter that Jesus has with Peter. For me, the story's power is this honest engagement, this authentic reconciliation. Our Lord at his work. You know that this defines who Jesus is. He's always at this work of reconciliation. You remember the story, don't you, of Peter's tragic failure as at the Last Supper, Peter professed something that was profound. He said, even if everybody else falls away from you, I will not fall away from you. Little did he know what would evolve in the next hours to come. 
Jesus had told him at that meal, not only will you fall away and scatter with the rest, but you will deny me three times before the rooster crows at the break of day. When all of this came to be just as Jesus had imagined, the bravado that he had presented at the Last Supper was this thing that haunted him, that he could be who he was and Jesus be who he was. Peter did not know what to do with himself that evening and followed at a distance as the events unfolded of Jesus' arrest, of his abuse within the system of government, both in the church, the temple, and also the politics of his day and age, and his death finally upon the cross. It is his failure Peter's failure that was haunting him throughout the course of all of these events. Sue and I went down to Florida just a week and a half ago. Her aunt, after whom she had been named, Aunt Sue, Aunt Ella Sue as we called her, had died and we were the chauffeurs that took not only ourselves but Sue's mother down to this visitation and funeral for her sister who had died. Much of the family had gathered in. Her uncle James, Sue's uncle James from Louisiana had come. I had the opportunity to sit with uncle James and visit. I asked him, how are you doing? He's 94 years old now. I said, how are you doing? He said, so-so. I said, so-so. And he said, yeah. He said, I don't know if you remember, but I had shingles 10 years ago. I said, I do remember that. And he said, he said uh, those lesions that came on my skin lasted for a couple of months. But I, like some people have not been able to be free of the pain of that terrible illness since that time. I said, you haven't. He said, no, I have not. He said, I go to the doctor and they continue to try to deal with it. But he said, there's little that they can do at this point. He said, when I go, they ask me always, um, rate, your, rate your pain on a scale of one to 10. And he says that he will usually tell them that I hover most of the time at around an eight. There are occasions when it drops to about a four. But most nights, many nights during the week, he said, it reaches 12. I thought to myself, how should an older gentleman, 94 years of age, have to deal with this? at his life's end, especially when he has carried with him the marks of polio all his life. It is a sad thing to think about how pain can haunt us. Physical pain can haunt us. 
Even more so, spiritual pain can haunt us throughout life. Have you ever wished you could undo something that you have said or done? Surely there is no one in this room who would not answer yes to that. What we have done and how we have acted or not acted can haunt us for most of our lives. I spoke with a haunted soul for whom life was falling apart. He shared with me, I've done damage on so many levels. You will never know. And my heart was broken for him. Each telling of the resurrection has its nuances. Matthew tells about the resurrection, the death and resurrection of Jesus in Matthew's way. Mark tells it in his way. Luke tells it in another way yet. And John has such a beautiful poetic almost way of telling the story of Jesus's death and his resurrection. But each speak of ways that are so important to the life of the person who is doing the remembering. When Mark talks about the resurrection, he describes that there were women who went to the tomb. And when they got there, they had as their first item of agenda to get someone to roll the stone back that had covered the entrance. Yet when they arrived, the stone was already rolled back. They entered into the tomb and why it says it here in scripture, uh, why it does not say here in scripture that it was an angel that they encountered the way in which Mark tells it, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe and sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. And so the first thing that the young man said to them was, do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified, and he has been raised. He is not here. Look. There's the place they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. Fascinating wording that Mark chooses here because he separates Peter out to the side. Do you hear that? Go and tell the disciples and I would say he is meeting here and especially Peter not just the women who have come to the tomb need to hear this message. Uh, certainly those disciples that followed Jesus over the three-year course of his ministry need to hear from Jesus. But what is Jesus' primary concern in the midst of this moment? And that is to be with the one who had denied even knowing him and to go to Peter, to lead Peter 
into a new way of reconciling life with Jesus himself. I like to think in this verse of scripture that not only is Peter being singled out, but I am too. Not only is it go to the disciples and especially Peter, but he is saying, go to the disciples and especially Bill, because Bill needs to know the face-to-face presence of Jesus as living Lord. Can you hear him speaking your name as well? Go to especially Susan. Go to especially Bob. Go to especially Kathy or Jim. Can you hear your name being spoken in these words? Hope and grace, even before we may realize that it is a part of our life, Jesus is making it so because he wishes for us nothing less than to be reconciled. This is his ministry of reconciliation into which he calls us to be reconcilers as well. Jesus intentionally went looking for Peter. Why? Because this is what defines Jesus. Love and forgiveness and reconciliation. How many times should we forgive? Jesus was asked. Seven times 70. Now you count that one up. Jesus' whole mode of operation was to reconcile others to himself. The disciples had already gone on retreat from Jerusalem. They wanted to get out of that place which was most threatening to them. And so they had gone back to familiar territory. They had no idea that Jesus had already gone before them to Galilee. All they knew was to seek a place of peace, which they could not find on their own. By the lake, they went back to their work at the suggestion of Peter. When Jesus shows up on shore, they have had a very uneventful night as far as fishermen go. And from a hundred yards out, if you can imagine Jesus speaking that distance to them, they heard the words, children, you have no fish, have you? Jesus already knew this fact. They may not have in the ghost by which they were haunted in their spirits. They had not registered that it had been an ineffective and ineffective night of fishing. The disciple whom Jesus loved was there and was looking with a keen eye when the man from shore said, cast your nets on the other side of the boat. And when they did that, they could not hold on to the nets. They were so full. And in that minute, John knew. And he spoke to Peter and said, it is the Lord. And with that, Peter jumped overboard 
and began to swim toward the only one who could make life right again. Can you imagine that he was there in the presence of Jesus and speechless? I mean, what do you say after you have denied having known this one? And yet Jesus knew the words that were needed because he engaged him after that communion sort of breakfast with bread and fish this time. He asked Peter, whom he named once again as Simon, not his new name of Peter. He said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Some people have wondered, was he talking about his friends in fishing? Do you love me more than the work of fishing? Do you love me more than these fish that are here before us on the fire? Adam Hamilton suggests that that question itself echoes back to the Last Supper. And I agree with him that this is a good way of understanding that question. Do you love me more than these? Do you remember that Simon said, even if they all abandon you, I will not. I will be with you to the death. Can't you imagine that that haunted Peter when Jesus was crucified? And so Jesus asked the question three times of him, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And each time Peter responded that he did. Jesus knew that more was needed for Peter than simply forgiveness. There are Christians today that believe that it's all about forgiveness. And I agree that forgiveness is a starting point to that relationship with Jesus, a very necessary place. But in the midst of our thinking do not miss the opportunity to see what Jesus is saying to Peter and all of us. That the forgiveness is there. But what are you going to do with the forgiveness? Jesus says, feed my sheep. Get busy with the work of caring for others. This is authentic reconciliation what we do with community, what we do with this community, not only Pittman Park Church, but Statesboro community, what we do with the community of the world around us. How is it that we might care for others in a way that honors the way in which Jesus cared for Peter and for all of us? In James chapter 2, it is recorded, faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. Jesus is in the process of moving Peter from this continued plague of cowardice into this relationship of courage. And he calls us as well. He calls us by name. <laughs> 